Hello, and welcome to Quest, a vineyard church where we experience life as friends with faith through encountering God, loving others, and making a difference in our community. If you're new, there will be information at the end of this podcast where you can plug into Quest in person or online. Now let's dive into this week's teaching. So we're starting a new series today called uh, Everyday Wisdom, and uh, before we get going, I want to give some wise people some credit who helped influence the way I'm communicating today. Uh, Some material by Kurt Harlow and Andy Stanley helped me think about how to talk about this today. Uh, So we'll be spending most of our time in the book of Proverbs through this series, and we've talked about doing this series for several years, and I'm really excited about doing it uh, because uh, this is, uh, in my early teens, there was a significant person in my life who came to me and challenged me to not be foolish. Uh, I was kind of prone to being the person who, uh, you know, went a little too far and was a little too loud and always get, getting caught and all that kind of stuff. And they challenged me instead to be wise. And he said to me, Ross, I want you to read the chapter in Proverbs each day that corresponds to the day of the month. So that means there's 31 chapters in Proverbs. So on May 2nd, you read chapter 2. On May 3rd, you read chapter 3. On May the 4th, you kind of get into some Yoda, Yoda issues because it's a Star Wars day. So you go to Yoda for wisdom, right? And uh, you read things like, when, when 900 years old you reach, look as good you will not. I love that one when he says that. Another great Yoda quote, do or do not, there is no try. That is really actually wise, not just funny. I will read essentially the entire book of Proverbs in a month if you do that approach. The guy told me to do this every month for several years. And as a teen, I was... Again, known to be excitable, loud, and all that kind of stuff. While I didn't always take advice quickly, I took his advice and read it for several years, every day of the week, which corresponded to that, or month, and and, uh, I fell in love with the book and hopefully became just a little bit less foolish. There's actually a, a guy named John Ortberg. Maybe you've heard of him. He's one of the leading authors and pastors and conference speakers for the last 25 years in America. And he was once asked, why do we need the book of Proverbs in the Bible? His simple, profound response was this. We need Proverbs for a very important theological reason. And it's this. People are stupid and make really dumb decisions. Isn't that true? We've all been there. We've all made our dumb decisions. Raise your hands if you made a dumb decision, right? It's one thing we all have in common. I mean, come on, America's Funniest Home Videos is one of the best business plans in the world because they'll never run out of material, right? Solomon is the author and the editor of most of the book of Proverbs. And uh, Solomon, as a young new king, successor to his wildly successful father, King David, had huge shoes to fill. So he's newly king and he has this dream from God recorded. You see it in 1 Kings 3, 5. God comes to Solomon and asks him, what do you want? Lots of soldiers so you can be really powerful, uh, long life, lots of gold, uh, the ability to dispense justice really well. And Solomon's answer is, God, give me wisdom above all other things, power, wealth, popularity, success. God, give me wisdom. And God gave him tremendous wisdom. In fact, the Bible tells us that kings and wise men from all over the known world came to Solomon to learn from his writings on zoology and entomology and botany and leadership and psychology and sociology, even on music he wrote stuff. And while we don't have all those writings surviving till today, we do have Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and the Song of Solomon. 
But it gets to a little bit more of a fundamental question. Why, why should we gain wisdom? And that's really simple because we all make decisions every day that have consequences. Decisions that affect our lives deeply, our relationships, our happiness, our prosperity, and our future. And if we're really honest with ourselves, we make lots of bad decisions. How many decisions have you made that, you, that have prevented you from being today where you wish you were financially in life? How many decisions have you made in the midst of arguments that have cost you dearly? How many times have you said, I'll never make a decision when I'm angry or frustrated, and yet you still often do, and you still pay negative price for doing so? How many times have you said, I'm going to stop doing this bad habit, and you don't? Think about it. Why is that? I think it's because we are so easily influenced. I heard someone cite some research that supposedly scientifically proves that we make the reasons why we make bad decisions. And the fifth most prevalent reason is emotional frustration in our life. We try to be good, uh, wise bosses and wise workers and wise parents, but sometimes we just get emotionally tired with all the drama around us. But we still have to make decisions in the midst of that. In the midst of your child saying, Mom, 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 Dad, we all want just a break, right? But we have to deal with it. And then we have an extra scoop of ice cream. The fourth biggest reason is decision fatigue. We make so many decisions so fast in this world today. And we get tired. We get tired of the stress. We get tired of making decisions. And then we start to make bad decisions. How many of you have gone to the grocery store and you end up in the cereal aisle and you start thinking, there are so many puffs. There are chocolate puffs, wheat puffs, oat puffs, corn puffs, rice puffs. I get so overwhelmed thinking about what I should buy and I'm so tired I just go eat a donut. Third most prevalent reason is environmental pressures. Different environments often create pressure on us to live in a different way. When I moved from rural Minnesota to Tulsa, I learned that you need to dress a different way. You're not supposed to wear the torn farmer pants and 20-year out-of-date clothing. You just need to be a little more fashionable. We moved to Oregon, and while I didn't take on dreadlocks and didn't fully take on the lumberjack look either... <coughs> It certainly changed what I enjoyed wearing in life and needed to wear to fit in. We visited MIT last year with our son on college searches, and, and all of a sudden I felt like I needed to use bigger, really intelligent, technical words. But alas, I lacked the linguistic aptitude to do that. <laughs> Environmental pressure can push us to make bad decisions. And then there's the second biggest influencer, music. Did you see this last week in the news? There was a convenience store that was having a gang problem of people hanging out, so they solved the problem. You know how they solved it? They started blaring classical music over the outdoor speakers, and everyone left. No, no joke, it made the news this last week. Retailers use music, too. If they want you to slow down and stay a little while and shop a little more, they play easy listening music. The fast food stores tend to play a little bit more upbeat music because they just want you to shove those fries down, gulp that shite, and get out of there. The top influencer, according to this study, is a full bladder. Now, I'm not sure that's a serious one, <laughs> but we've all been there, haven't we? 
So there are so many influences that can take us from a place of wise thinking and decision so quickly to doing something that's dumb. And so many of those things are, are probably no big deal in the scheme of things. We laugh, we move on, right? But some of those things, foolish moments, are the nail in the coffin to a relationship or a job. And some of those bad decisions affected your identity, that you see yourself now through the filter of that decision, and it takes a long time for you to overcome that negative perception of who you are. Daily, we are faced with so many decisions. Research indicates that in the 1970s, the average city person was faced with 500 advertisements a day. Today, they say it's closer to 5,000 a day. In addition to that, we have computers that help us be more efficient and all that stuff, but they also make us make tons more decisions every single day. How is it that you and I can make good decisions and fewer bad ones? We need wisdom. We need wisdom. What we're going to look at today is three passages in Proverbs that are going to kind of set the stage for this whole series so that we'll get the most out of it. To guide our talk today, we're going to address these issues through three questions about wisdom. What is wisdom? What is the, the, the cost of living without it? And how do we get it? So in the process, we're also going to discover some questions that we uh, oftentimes ask ourselves as the default questions that we use for making decisions. And we're going to suggest uh, the best question for making wise, better decisions. So ready? Let's jump in. Wisdom, what is it? So let's start with Proverbs 1. Solomon states his purpose for writing, and he says this, For gaining wisdom and instruction, for understanding words of insight, for receiving instruction in prudent behavior, doing what is right and just and fair, for giving prudence to those who are simple, knowledge and discretion to the young. Let the wise listen and add to the learning, and let the discerning get guidance for understanding proverbs and parables and sayings and the riddles of the wise. Anybody like riddles? You ever meet a, a really smart person and, and you know they're really wise, but you can't understand the thing they're saying? Solomon says he's going to break it down for us in a way that we can't understand. And then he says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. So to get... Under, to understand wisdom, we first actually have to start in the right place and know where you're going, or you'll end up in the wrong place. My wife is unapologetically direction-challenged. So she used to often call me years ago when she was lost and say, I'm lost, can you help me figure out how to get to? And to which my first two questions were, where are you, and what direction are you headed in? Two nearly impossible questions for her to answer. I mean, come on, it wasn't very wise of me to ask her questions. There's no way she can answer. But it emphasizes the point that applies not only to driving, but to life in general. If you know where you are, then you can figure out what direction to go. So where are you and where are you going? Have you ever taken the time to have God ask you those questions and, and, and you know, you talk to him about that? Have you ever said to God... You, God, define for me what is wise, and I'll do that. You define wisdom, God, not, not me. There are, in this passage, a number of key terms that are going to help us define what wisdom is. The first term is insight, found in verse 2. And it, 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 the insight word is, is the idea of seeing through something so that we can clearly distinguish in a sense, it's, it's to take note of the difference because some things look similar, but they're not. 
A spicy brat looks similar to a, a non-spicy brat, but if you have a tender mouth, you're going to be begging for yogurt if you take one, right? A safe person and an unsafe person can often look much the same. Years ago in her in Tulsa, there was a guy in our church who murdered his wife. And he looked professional, safe, successful. He looked like the nice big eight accountant that he was. Wise people learn to look carefully and note differences. Verse 2 and 3 uses the word instruction. In today's world, that would be easy for us to misunderstand what they're saying in Proverbs. It isn't the idea of gaining more information to look good on a test. This is all about applying knowledge through correction to character growth so we become a better person. Verse 3 and 4 uses the word prudence. And this is the idea of being strategic and efficient, knowing the best way to do things, how to navigate things in life most efficiently and effective ways. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use an example of a couple people here. Andy and Heidi Wilson, through all their years at Red, White, and Boom, they know how to get out of downtown after the fireworks the most quickly, efficiently way and avoid all the traffic to get home. That is prudence. Discernment and discretion in verse 5. This is all about understanding all the forces at work in a situation and knowing how and when to act and take risks and when not to. And then there's verse 7, the fear of the Lord. Throughout Proverbs and throughout the whole Bible, this is the most important foundational beginning place for wisdom. And this is not fear of harm or fear of punishment or fear of unknown dangers, although those, that kind of fear sometimes provides a good thing in our life. But this is the kind of fear which is more akin to the idea of awe and wonder and stunning amazement and reverence, the kind of awe that makes us willingly stand and give a standing ovation or makes us willingly bow in reverence in a situation. So if you're a parent, you may have that, had that kind of awe experience the first time you held your firstborn the anticipation of what they would become, the, the awesome wonder, the thoughts and the dreams and just the immense moment that that was. If that doesn't do it for you, think of someone putting a $10 million ceramic piece of art in your hand and saying, hold this. And if you drop it, you pay for it. Okay? When we know God, we have this kind of awe of him, his overwhelming goodness and greatness. And here's what I want you to see from these terms and how they help us come to a definition. Insight, instruction, prudence, and discernment all come together to create competency in us. The fear of the Lord creates a humble, teachable courage in us. So wisdom, what is it? Wisdom is the courage to face reality and respond with growing competence. As you read Proverbs, you will continually notice how it's so clear in its descriptions of reality. Wisdom always starts with reality. Where your skills, your character, your grades, your performance, your abilities really are. Where your marriage really is. Where your habits really are. Where your finances really are. Where your communication skills really are. Where your tendency toward escapism and addiction versus healthy emotional coping skills really are. Wisdom recognizes the reality and the limitations first. 
But if you stop there, you're going to become despondent. Wisdom has you move on from that to specific steps to gain competency and grow to where God designed you to be in life. Wisdom is often different than right and wrong, even the commands of God about moral issues. See, the reality is you can be a very moral person and you can still make stupid decisions, right? Wisdom is more than doing right and being a good-hearted person. Wisdom is, I accept what is true, the reality about me, the situation, others, whatever it is, and I apply to my circumstances what is true of God, of his wisdom, from his word, and I grow. Jerome Kagan, a developmental psychologist from Harvard years ago, asked thousands of people across 33 different cultures what you do when you are threatened. And what he discovered is that all of us have one of three responses as our most natural instinctive response regardless of culture. Some of us have the flight response. We just want to run. We want to get out of there when threatened. We want to avoid it. Some of us have the fight response. We're just going to dive right in without thinking. We're just going to solve it. We're going to confront it. We're going to tackle our fear. And some of us have the philosophical response. Let's just slow down. Let's think about this. Let's understand it before we do anything. So which of those three responses is most instinctively you? I'll bet if you don't know, the person next to you can probably go like that and tell you exactly what it is. See, here's Kagan's conclusion to his study. He said, each one of these three responses is right some of the time and wrong most of the time. Do you hear that? Your instinctive response is wrong most of the time. Your instinct to say, your instinct to say, I'm right, my, my perspective, my way of responding, my way of viewing things, your desire to bend reality to your own way of seeing things and doing things is going to be wrong at least two-thirds of the time. Interestingly, one of Kagan's takeaways from this is he says, we try to teach our children to find themselves. In other words, understand instinctively how they are gifted and wired and how they respond to life. When we should really be teaching them to find wisdom, to respond correctly. So a really good question for us to ask ourselves is, where do I need to be more honest about the realities I face? Let's jump to our next passage at the end of uh, Proverbs 1. And we're going to see as we go through Proverbs, the first nine chapters are really kind of an introduction in how to be wise. And then the chapters after that are where you get into the little short sayings that you normally associate with the idea of Proverbs. And what we're going to see through these first nine chapters is uh, wisdom is going to talk to us through the voice of a father instructing his son. And sometimes, like in verse 22, where we're going to start, it's going to be the personified voice of Lady Wisdom speaking to us. And in verse 22, she says, How long will you who are simple love your simple ways? How long will mockers delight in mockery and fools hate knowledge? Repent at my rebuke. Then I will pour out my thoughts to you and I will make known to you my teachings. But since you refuse to listen when I call and no one pays attention when I stretch out my hand, since you disregard all my advice and do not accept my rebuke, I in turn will laugh when disaster strikes you. I will mock you when calamity overtakes you. And isn't that lovely? That's a verse you just want to, that's a verse you want to memorize and quote every morning, right? But you got to understand, this is not God laughing at you. 
That's not what's being said here. This is saying the personification of wisdom is laughing at you. The text goes on. Then they will call to me, but I will not answer. They will look for me, but will not find me. Since they hated knowledge and did not choose to fear the Lord, since they would not accept my advice and spurn my rebuke, they will eat the fruit of their ways and be filled with the fruit of their schemes. Now, that's, that's a really interesting word, the schemes word, the fruit of their schemes. It, it, what it means is it's their way of thinking. It's the mental structure you create in your mind to justify what is right and wrong, what is good and what is best. When we refuse to accept God's ways of thinking, Lady Wisdom is teaching us about morality and character and right and wrong. We create our own arguments that no matter how wise they may sound are often foolish and lead us to reap the ways of our foolishness. So our second question, wisdom. What is the cost of living without it? One of the things you've probably noticed is that most of the, almost every sporting event has lots of beer commercials, right? One interesting thing is that the majority of the beer commercials feature people who are near supermodels, young and fit and good-looking and skinny. And we all know that, that that's really what people who drink a lot of beer look like, right? <laughs> what do you mean? You laugh. You must have the same friends I have. I mean, beer commercials' message is that if you drink a lot of beer, then this perfectly fit, gorgeous woman in a bikini is going to want to go to an island paradise with you because you look great in your Speedo. Yet the truth of wisdom is if you drink a lot of beer, you're going to have a beer belly. Eight ways to get rid of beer belly. There's really something wrong with that, isn't there? Think about it. What other kind of beverage has a f kind of fat named after it? I mean, you don't have Pepsi arms. You don't have Starbucks thighs, right? You just have beer belly. Why is it that we think people who drink a lot of beer are skinny? Because we are masters at self-deception. We all think we can handle it. In so many areas of our lives, it's so easy to deceive ourselves and buy into the commercials we see or buy into the justifications we create in our minds, and it leads to bad decisions. Some of our bad decisions simply embarrass us. Others alienate relationships, and still others deeply scar us and how we see ourselves. This text isolates three types of people who lack wisdom and the cost that's paid for that and make bad decisions. The first one is the simple the simple are those who are naive and influenced by the crowd, not discerning. They could be 60 years old, but you wonder sometimes whether they're 10, right? Sometimes it's completely innocent because we simply don't know what we don't know. Other times it's gullibleness. It's, did you hear what they said at lunch? Did you, did you see what the Internet said? Did you realize Abraham Lincoln once said you couldn't trust everything posted on the Internet? <laughs> the second type is the mockers. The mocker is one who loves shock value in what they say. They love to share, sometimes under the guise of being open and honest and real. They love to share something that's going to shock and put off everybody, talking about things that shock people. And, and they like to live in a place of being cynical and critical and making fun of people who don't know as much as they know, which may or may not be true. They're constantly sarcastic about others, especially people with whom they disagree. And then there's the fools. Fools are people who are generally blinded by ego. 
They are wise in their own eyes. They're resistant to correction. They're self-defensive, always needing to be right. Don't listen well to other people. Sometimes, under the guise of courage, they foolishly go headlong into danger. And all three types of these people act unwise. And we are all three types of these people at different times in our life. The simple are influenced by the opinions, the lack of discretion of others and and knowledge. The the mockers love the thrill of feeling superior and the laughter of others' weakness and putting others down. And the fools are blinded by ego and the need to be right. And when it comes to life, all three of these types of people are unwise. Partially because they're all asking oftentimes a wrong question. And the question they're asking when they come to decisions, is there anything wrong with this? We ask that question a lot as we approach decisions, especially about moral or relational decisions. But behind that, when we're asking that question, is actually another question. And that is this. How far can I go before I go over the line, before I get punished or embarrassed? We love living on the edge sometimes, don't we? And when we live with those two questions, oftentimes the very next question we're going to be asking ourselves is, how did I get here? How did I get here? See, is there anything wrong with this is the wrong question if you want to be wise. The right and better question is, is this wise? Wendy and I had a friend years ago in Tulsa. Uh, Melinda lost her parents when she was 17 or 18, and she received a $100,000 inheritance, and she immediately went out and blew it on a really expensive sports car and some other big purchases. When people asked her, why did you do that? Her response was, is there anything wrong? Is there anywhere in the Bible that says doing that is wrong? But you see, that's the wrong question. Is it wise is the right question. Talking to her years later after that decision, she lamented how she had blown her college education money, how she blew her ability to save and get into a house and live with less financial stress and less debt. And she talked about how college and other expenses had put her in so much debt. Life was just so difficult. See, in our culture, even as Christians, we often don't ask the is it wise question. We simply go with is it wrong? And in the process, we undermine not only our present relationships sometimes, but we undermine our security of our future and our goals that we may now look back on those decisions and regret those decisions. We need to ask ourselves a better question. Is it wise in light of my past? Is it wise in light of my present? Is it wise in light of my future? As a parent, I wish, I wish I would have asked these questions more of my children. I, I, like many of you, tend to tell my children what I think is wise in life. And instead of helping them think through the is it wise based upon my past, present, and future questions. Now, a little warning. Last week at dinner, we asked the is it wise question, and the uh, wise choice was obvious. And it was a conversation stopper, and we didn't use it right because it should be something that we want to encourage talking through issues and not come across as kind of superior bullying to our way of thinking about what is wise. So be careful the way you use this question in conversation, the tone you use it, so that it opens up dialogue rather than shuts it down. But C.S. Lewis once said this, the little decisions we make today build the character to make us wise in the big decisions of our future. Wisdom is a tough daily thing. 
If we don't count the cost of mastering wisdom and all of the difficult emotional and character moments that we will indeed face as we come face to face with our reality, how I relate to others, how I see my motives, what my reasoning is and whether it's good or not. If I don't count the cost of how difficult ego-wise it is to face myself when I am a simpleton, to face myself and face others in repentance when I'm a mocker, to face my own shame when I'm a fool, I won't stay engaged enough to truly become wise. If I don't ask the right question, is it wise, I'll live in the moment and not count the cost of what is truly wise for who I am becoming and who God wants me to become. We all make bad decisions at times. Gaining wisdom requires we count the cost in advance. Otherwise, we will bail on the process. So let me leave you with our final question today. Wisdom. How do I get it? James 1, often referred to as the wisdom literature of the New Testament, says this, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. So I want you to notice two things. God loves to give us wisdom. And what I love most about this passage is those words without finding fault. That means no matter how stupid you've been in the past, no matter how many bad decisions you've made, God doesn't hold that against you when you ask for wisdom. He doesn't say, oh, Bob, you screwed up too many times. I can't trust you with wisdom, so I'm not going to give it to you. No, it's without fault. Wherever you are. God is eager to meet you right there and give you wisdom generously. Yet to find wisdom, we do have a role role to play. And Solomon summarizes how to find wisdom in chapter 2. He says, My son, if you accept my words and store up my commands within you, turning your ear to wisdom and applying your heart to understanding, indeed, if you call out for insight and cry aloud for understanding, And if you look for it as for silver and search for it as for hidden treasure, then God will, you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom. So what does this teach us? It says we find wisdom when we learn to voraciously study, verse 1. Voraciously accept God's word, the Bible. Study God's word. Store it up. Study it. Memorize it. Make a database in your mind of knowing what God's word says and all sorts of things. Wisdom is understanding how God made things and how we live in sync with that. Learning to live life hitting on all cylinders instead of pushing your car through life. And wisdom is also found in voraciously reflecting on life. We study God's commands, and we study people, and we study our own internal processes and our own experiences to understand how God's commands reveal wisdom and foolishness. The second is we seek feedback, and we seek self-understanding. As part of that voracious study, we personalize our learning by seeking feedback, being open to feedback, learning to not be defensive, but to listen and be reflective, even when we don't agree with the feedback. And we are especially eager to discern who to receive feedback from. Show me, show me your five closest friends, and I'll show you how wise you'll be in a few years, or how foolish you'll be in a few years. 
and allow that feedback to reveal the intent of your heart, your heart's motivation to you. Because, again, we can deceive ourselves for a really long time just to make sure we feel right and justified in life. Yet the prophet Jeremiah in chapter 17, verse 9 says, The heart is deceitful above all, all things. Our hearts deceive us all the time. Why? Why? Because we want to self-protect against pain. Because we want to self-protect against our seeing ourselves as anything less than right and good. So we avoid our flaws and the evil and the sin in our heart. And when we don't start with reality, we can't find wisdom. In fact, think about it. We can't even know the depth of God's love for us until we know the reality of who we are and that he still loves us even then. The third way we become wise is to make the pursuit of wisdom your highest motivation from verse 3. Solomon uses the word cry aloud. And this is a, a desperate sense of a difficult time crying out. Allow our lives to persevere in hardship and suffering and difficulty and confusing times. Not getting angry at God, but persevering in that time and not allowing the circumstances to cause us to give up or to settle or to plead ignorance and quit but to be driven above all else to do what is said next in the instructions to us to persevere in our pursuit against all temptations of this world, verse 4. No matter what other desire or motivation there is to not pursue success and fame and wealth and even more than any of those things, even at the cost of those things, to persevere in pursuit of wisdom, to not let our eyes and our hearts be distracted by the glitz and the glamour of things in this life, but to see through them to wisdom. Then the God who wisdom gives wisdom to all will settle our hearts in confidence that we know God, that we are loved, and that we have a place in this world, and, and we'll be able to live life and grow into the prosperity God wants us to experience in every area of our life because we'll live with this compelling sense of curiosity and expectation of the goodness of God and the wisdom of God and the love of God coming to us. Because why? God loves to give wisdom freely to us and generously to us. Today's been an overview of what wisdom is, the cost of pursuing wisdom, and how to get wisdom. We all make some wise decisions and we all make some stupid decisions. God is inviting us to grow in wisdom so more and more of our decisions are good decisions. Today, if you're here and you are not yet a follower of Jesus, or maybe you're here and you've been religiously involved in your life, but it's never really been a relationship. It's all been almost feels more like a superstitious ritual thing for you instead of a relationship. Might I suggest that receiving the awesome love God has for you that he's demonstrated in Jesus is your first good step to being wiser. That the God who loves you so much and loves all of us so much, even on our stupid decisions, even when we're simple, even when we're defiantly foolish and mocking, and even in spite of that, God pursues us and loves us and comes to us and chooses to suffer to pay the price that our bad behavior and bad decisions clearly deserve. So that God can be both just he doesn't overlook the sin and the price of sin, but he can also be unimaginably merciful and loving. You see, when you understand that depth 
of the love of God that he has for you, you'll live with this joyful sense of awe, this grateful awe, and wisdom will come into your life and flood into your life in ways that you have never even imagined before. If you are here today and you've never made that step, I want to encourage you to do that today. So as we continue to worship in just a moment, if, if that's you, would you ask yourself three questions and ponder them as we continue to worship? Would you ask the question, am I ready to follow Jesus? And then follow that question up with, what is holding me back from being all in on that decision? And the third question, is what's holding me back the wise thing to do? Would you stand with me as we pray? We're going to receive communion. It all starts in the reverence and the awe of God, wisdom does. And, and there's no better ritual that the church has celebrated for 2,000 years than to celebrate communion. The fact that God would come himself in bodily form because he loves us so much, even when we're not looking for him, he would come to show us who he is, that he actually pursues us and loves us and that he dies for us so that we can receive forgiveness. He takes the penalty for us. There is no better way to start this wisdom journey. So, Lord, we just ask that you'd come now as we worship and as we receive communion. Would you just amplify us for us the sense of your spirit's presence and the awe of who you are? And, Lord, we ask that throughout the journey of this series that you would bring wisdom into our lives. Lord, the areas where we struggle to face reality because of shame or guilt or we don't like to see ourselves that way, would you show us that you love us so much that we don't even have to hesitate to be real about that because there's no rejection from you. Would you come to us in this moment? In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this week's sermon audio. If you're loving Quest Podcast, let us know on Facebook or Twitter by using the hashtag GoToQuest. For more information on Quest, who we are, and what God is doing here, or if you would like to help support Quest financially, please visit us at GoToQuest.org. That's G-O-T-O-Quest.org. Thanks for listening.